So we have, for uh, several weeks now, been traveling through the travel narrative in the Gospel of Luke. It's that center section, that middle section that goes from chapters 9 through 19 and divides the first part of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. It was that home place, that home territory, that comfortable uh, position where things were familiar and to a certain degree predictable. And Samaria, chapters 9 through 19, take us from that comfortable place uh, to Jerusalem, the place of climactic victory where Jesus goes to the cross and to the tomb, is raised again where he ascends and then sends the Spirit. As we've navigated this travel log that Luke provides for us, we've likened that in one big sense to the story of the world because the story of the world began in a garden and now we are navigating this uh, fallen space where there are pandemics and racial strife and personal sin, where things break down and break apart. We're trying to work our way through this space on our way to seeing God once again face to face. We've likened this to uh, our familiar sense of life before the pandemic, uh, to this space that we now navigate that has reminded us in the last week that it is far from over. We see cases rising um, and cases spiking all over the country in various, various places and locations. So we're still navigating this space. We need, still need to hear the word that God has to give. We still need to um, continue moving forward and walking with Jesus, looking with hope towards the victory that he promises. And again, this reminds us too of uh, basic discipleship. It's like what this space that we're traveling with Luke 9 to 19 reminds us of what it was like before we came to follow Jesus seriously or to take his claims upon our lives with, uh, with attention and care. We now walk this road of discipleship, which is like taking up our cross and following him. We're on our way to a great victory. But that doesn't mean that now uh, is easy. So as we made this journey, uh, we've gone through chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and today we're in Luke chapter 15. And along this path, we've learned that the journey we take is urgent, it's necessary, it's unavoidable, but we're already in the midst of it. Uh, but it, it is blessed because Jesus walks this road with us. He does not remain aloof, he does not remain distant, distant he draws near. He is the transcendent God, yes, but he is also the imminent God, the one who comes close to us. Along this road, we've learned that we are to become a neighbor, even as Jesus shows us uh, what that means in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, in fact, is our good neighbor, the one who does not pass us by, the one who gathers us in his arms and takes us to a place of safety, uh, to a room and a house with a table set and a feast prepared and a promise to pay our debts and to come again. In the same way, we too are called to be a neighbor in the way that Jesus has been a neighbor. We can't do what Jesus has done, but we can see those um, who are fallen down and struggling and injured and hurt beside the road as we travel uh, this fallen world. And we are called to see them and to take them in our arms and to help bind up their wounds. We're called along this path um, to receive the means of grace, the first of which is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray. 
This is a source of strength for us along the way. It's a place where we can commune with God, hear from God, encounter God, be united with God by the Spirit. As we travel through this space, we learn not only uh, that prayer is a means of grace, but also gathering corporately uh, together as God's people to worship Him, to gather around the Word. Um, did we not discover in the last couple weeks how much we have missed this and how wonderful it is to gather as God's people, even out on the lawn? Uh, we've been given a beautiful space there. We've missed that. It's a means of grace. And you know what happens when we gather as God's people? Jesus shows up. We saw it in the parable, uh, or the story, actually, uh, that, that happened where God's people went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and Jesus was there. He was present. And a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, she was bent over, she couldn't straighten herself out, appeared, and Jesus saw her and called her to himself and laid his hand upon her and said, you are free from your disability, and she was straightened up. One of the things that happens when we gather as God's people in worship is that Jesus arrives too. He shows up in our midst. He straightens out we who have been bent in on ourselves. And he reminds us of who he is, the one who can heal, the one who can transform, the one who sees us and the one who joins us when we come together. We've learned along the way uh, that we are called on this journey to be humble, to be generous, and we learned that this table is the place where God plays host and where he welcomes us who can do nothing in return, who can offer him nothing except our sinfulness and brokenness, but who receives that and grants us a seat at the table, not as servants, but as children. It's the place where we are able, I hope, to humble ourselves and to recognize that we are, like the parable says, that the sick and the poor and the lame and those who are in great need. God draws us in from the highways and the byways to give us a seat of honor at his table. And that has brought us today to Luke chapter 15. And in the same way that the Pharisees prompted Jesus three stories last week um, by asking, putting him to the test, can, can can somebody be healed on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, yes, of course. And within that, uh, he demonstrates and shows forth that the Pharisees, these religious people, had become so consumed by the letter of the law that they were unable to hear the spirit of the law. Uh, their hearts, though their outward actions were right, their hearts were not. And Jesus begins to work his way in. That's what he does as we make this trip through life. He exposes the deep things of our hearts so that he might heal them. Um, in the same way today, uh, the, the, the Pharisees have another complaint against Jesus. Jesus, in response to their first complaint, told a story, three stories about table fellowship. And the Pharisees obviously don't get it because they're grumbling about where Jesus eats. That's the very next thing they do. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's the complaint. This man receives sinners and eats with them. He's with sinners and tax collectors. 
that doesn't maybe mean a whole lot to us today. So maybe we could say that guy eats with fans of the Duke Blue Devils, right? Or the Tar Heels or NC State fans. That guy eats with, with those people. How can he do that? Uh, that guy eats with Democrats. Or that guy, Jesus, he's with Republicans. Or that guy eats with folks who support Joe Biden or Donald Trump. That guy eats with folks who are black, who are white, who are brown. Maybe it's not so hard to find yourself in this story, find our current cultural atmosphere in this story. But maybe we're surprised to find our words in the mouths of the Pharisees. That's the complaint. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus then tells three parables. In each of these three parables, someone or something is lost. Someone or something is then found. And that is followed by great rejoicing, not only on earth, but in heaven. Something's lost, someone's lost, and then that's, that thing or that person is found. There is great rejoicing on earth and in heaven. And then we come to the last story, into the very end, and it brings the Pharisees back into the conversation. And maybe you and me as well. So let's go through the stories quickly. Um, the first parable that Jesus tells in response to the Pharisees who were grumbling and complaining was about a shepherd. He said, which one of you having a hundred sheep, having 99 in the open field and recognizing that one was lost, would not go and seek out the one who was lost? Which one of you wouldn't do that? The, lo the lost one. Who wouldn't leave the 99 in the field to go find the one who was lost? And upon finding the one who was lost, gather that sheep up into your arms, place him upon your shoulders and carry him back to the flock. And then once you had found that sheep and taken him back to the flock, which one of you would not also gather friends and neighbors so that all might rejoice the lost one had been found? Who wouldn't do that? It's a picture, actually, of Jesus. The one that, well, Jesus describes himself, but we hear about this in the Gospel of John, as the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for his flock. Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks us out. And at one point or another in your life, you were that one who was lost. Maybe you can remember that and recognize and be able to sing in full voice, amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I know I'm found. My Savior has found me. My good shepherd has gathered me into his arms and taken me back. But maybe that's you today. I don't know. Maybe that's you in this moment. Maybe as we journey through pandemic, you feel like maybe you're a little lost. Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks us out, who gathers us in his arms, who places us upon his shoulders and, get, and takes us back to be rejoined with the flock. It's a picture of grace because the sheep can't find his way back. The sheep can't do anything when he's laying on the shepherd's shoulders. He's totally at the mercy of the shepherd who was willing to find him, who was willing to carry him home. But then we see that the shepherd tells friends and neighbors and there is great rejoicing. 
Indeed, uh, Jesus says in this parable, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Not only is there joy here on earth when one who has been lost is found and restored, there's joy in heaven. That's the first story. It's about Jesus who comes to find us and gathers us in his arms and takes us back to the joy of all who gather around the throne in heaven. The second story Jesus tells, the parable that he uses to instruct us along the way, is of a woman. He says, what woman having lost a coin in her house does not try to find it and does not turn on the light and then seek everywhere throughout the house upon finding the coin that she had lost, tell her friends and neighbors so that they might rejoice with her. That which was lost has now been found. It's a picture again of Jesus who enters into the world to find those of us who have been lost. It's interesting that the woman turns the light on in the house. Jesus, of course, again, John tells us, Jesus, the light of the world, the light is, shines in the darkness, darkness has not overcome it. The light has entered into the world, but the, the world loved the darkness more than the light. When we were lost and helpless and alone and afraid and unable to save ourselves and unable to find our way back, the light, the divine light of God entered into the world to shine so that we might be found. And once we were found, there is rejoicing on earth and also again in heaven. Just so I tell you, says Jesus, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is telling stories to the Pharisees about those who have been lost and who are now found. There's a great rejoicing in heaven. And then he tells a famous story, perhaps the most famous story, the story of the prodigal son. You remember it. A man has two sons. One of the sons comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. Which in those days was another way of saying, dad, you're dead to me. I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. And so the father goes ahead and gives the son his share of the inheritance. And he takes it to a far country. And in that far country, he then begins to spend it in lavish living. But something happens. A famine strikes a natural disaster occurs something that that he wasn't expecting emerges maybe that sounds familiar i don't know as we you know i wasn't expecting a viral pandemic to break out but these things happen in our fallen world as we negotiate it and when the famine hits the prodigal son had taken his inheritance lost it all he lost all that was coming to him, all that he'd been given. And he found himself in a pig pen. He found himself down in the mud and the muck and the mire and everything else that will be in a pig pen, trying to eat the slop that had been fed to the pigs. He's hit rock bottom lower than he thought he could ever go. The one who had received such a rich inheritance 
a short time before now had nothing. And for a Jewish person in particular, not only was he physically unclean and starving here in the muck and the mire, but with the pigs, he was also ceremonially, religiously, culturally unclean. He could come near to no one. No one would come near to him. Again, strange echoes in our current circumstance. He had gone beyond the pale. And from this lowest of points in his life, he began to remember his father's house. And he remembered that in his father's house, the servants, not just the sons, but the servants were treated well. And he hoped that he might be able to go home, not as a son, but as a servant, and at least have something to eat. And as he walked, he began to rehearse his speech. As he went, he began to work out, okay, how am I going to approach my father and speak to him of this? How can I ask him? How can I show him how sorry I am in hopes that maybe, just maybe, he would give him a seat at the table of the servants? And no sooner had he turned the corner and saw his home, his true home, his real home, not this wandering wilderness that he had walked. As he saw, as he caught a glimpse of his true home, so too did the father catch a glimpse of him. And no sooner did the father catch a glimpse of him than he began to run all the way down the road to his son. Which in those days did not happen. Grown men did not run. It was undignified. It looked foolish. And the father was going to make a fool of himself because he was so happy that his son had returned. And upon reaching his son, he gathered him up in his arms. And he placed a ring upon his finger and shoes upon his feet and a cloak upon his back. And he said, this one who has been lost has now been found. And even as he is found, he announces to the servants, my son has returned. Kill the fatted calf so that we might feast together. I'm hosting another banquet. These banquets keep showing up in the stories that Jesus tells. He's going to have a grand feast with his son as the honored guest, the son who once was lost and has now been found. It's a picture the church father said very early on. This is a picture of humanity. We were in the house of the father. Imagine the garden in the kind of threefold narrative that we're telling. We were in the house of the Father, but we took all the gifts that God had given us, we who were made in God's image, all the, the incredible um, aspects of that, we took all those gifts that we have, and rather than desiring to remain with the Father, we said to God, in effect, you're dead to me. We're going to choose our own way. Adam and Eve chose their own way, and you and I have chosen our own way, and we run from the Father, and we found ourselves in places we never could have imagined. And then, throughout the course of these events, God has used certain things, maybe not sent certain things, but has at least used certain things in this fallen world to remind us, to give us a glimpse yet again of our Father's house, to remind us how good God is, and how good it is not to be gods unto ourselves. 
And I hope that throughout this time, this time of pandemic, this natural disaster, it's not famine for most of us right now, but there is this natural uh, uh, pandemic, this natural disaster of the virus going on. I hope that maybe for us, we have been able to get a glimpse of our fallen state and also a glimpse of the Father's house. That this has drawn something of us to want to return to the Father and become wanting to be servants, but he says, no, you're children of mine. And he puts rings on our fingers and shoes on our feet, cloaks on our back, and he sets a feast before us. But there's one in the story who doesn't come to the feast. The son who was lost and is now found comes to the feast. He's the honored guest. All the servants come. There's one who doesn't make it. There were two brothers, remember? There was the younger brother who squandered everything, and there was an elder brother. The elder brother is like the Pharisee. He's like the religious people that Jesus is talking to, trying to help them understand what it means to be lost, to be found, and to receive joy on earth and in heaven. What it means to be restored to the house of the Father, and they're not quite getting it. You sinners and tax collectors, Democrats, Republicans, black, white, brown, Tar Heels, Blue Devils, they're not quite getting it. It's not quite working its way into their hearts. The elder brother comes to the father and says, why are you doing this? He's made all the wrong decisions. He's ended up in the pig pen. He's treated you, Father. He's treated you, God, as if you didn't matter, as if you didn't exist. He's disrespected you. Turn at point after point, turn after turn in his life. Which is another way of the elder son saying, and I've made all the right decisions. I've stayed by your side. I didn't wish you dead. I was content to wait until you were ready or until you passed away to give me the inheritance. I've been here. I've been working. I've been sitting at your table at your side day after day, week after week, year after year. I've done the right things. He's done the wrong things. And you throw a party for him. Which is kind of what the Pharisees were saying, isn't it? The elder brother doesn't make it to the party. What I want you to do this morning is ask yourself, are you the lost one or are you the elder brother? Which one draws you in? Which one speaks to you? Which one clarifies maybe your last week or month? Which one looks more like your activity online? Are you the lost son or the elder brother? Well, here's the thing. If you are the lost one, this story is incredibly good news for you, isn't it? It means that you have a good shepherd who's willing to seek you out and indeed has sought you out. In Jesus, God comes to you and gathers you into his arms and puts you upon his shoulders, a picture of grace, and takes you back to the flock, the rest of those who belong to Almighty God. And once you come back, he tells everybody, this one has been restored. The one who was lost has now been found, and there's rejoicing in earth and on heaven, on earth and in heaven. This is good news to you if you think, boy, I look a whole lot like the lost in this picture, because it means that God has come to earth to shine his light, to find you who were hidden in darkness, and to turn the, God has literally turned the world upside down for you. 
How do we know this? Well, Jesus upends everything. The Pharisees aren't the ones who are getting everything right. In fact, mostly they're getting it wrong, even as they try to get it right. We heard in the parable he told last week that those who humble themselves in the kingdom will be exalted, but those who exalt, exalt themselves, the Pharisees, will be humbled. God comes and turns the world upside down to find you who were lost, and once you were found and your fortune restored, there is joy in heaven and on earth. If you identify with a lost son, if you find yourself in the midst of a pandemic, alone, lonely, afraid, feeling as if everything has gone from you, you have fallen to this terribly low point. Well, this morning you're hearing a story about someone else who looked a lot like you, who recognized his low estate and who caught just a bare glimpse of the father's house. Maybe this word that you hear today is that glimpse for you. And maybe as you set your sights upon the Father's house, as you begin to make your way, as you turn around, which is an act of repentance, and go back home, you'll see that the Father runs to you, opening his arms. Irenaeus in the second century said, the arms of this Father in the parable are Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's what the Father uses, the two arms that the Father uses to gather you in, to embrace you, and to draw you in close to his heart. It's good news for you if you're the lost one in this story. But maybe you say, I'm that elder brother. Maybe it's just hitting you as if for the first time. I so often look more like the elder brother in my life. Trying to make all the right decisions. This morning I was torn up over whether to have worship on the lawn or inside. Trying to get the right decision. Not make a mistake. Maybe that looks like you. Maybe... You're all too comfortable and you realize that now with those Christians who look like you and not those Christians who don't. Maybe you're recognizing that you're driven more by your cultural um, atmosphere and, and place than you are by the kingdom of God. By that kingdom that is perfected in the future but even now is breaking in upon us. Necessarily brings conflict in our own hearts. Who are we going to serve? We can't serve two masters. Maybe you find that you look more like the elder brother. And this morning, that actually is good news too. Because in the story we see the elder brother is the one who didn't make it to the banquet. Who didn't make it to the feast. Who in his self-righteousness held himself back. He was welcome. The father welcomed him in, but he wasn't willing to go. But this morning, that is good news. You know why? Because we recognize that it wasn't just the son who squandered everything who was lost. It's also the elder brother. Everyone, right? Which means that the elder brother is lost. It means he also has a good shepherd who's willing to come to him and seek him out and find him and lay him on his shoulders and take him back so that heaven might rejoice. The elder brother is the lost one who God shines his light into his darkness and gathers him into himself so that heaven might rejoice. The elder brother is the one who is also welcome to the table. That's you. That's me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now, but now I, I see. You have a Father who loves you. You've shown that in Jesus Christ. Good shepherd who restores you, restores all your fortunes. He brings you back to the Father's house in the power of the Spirit. Give yourself over to him this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.